My name is Andy Nelms, and it is such a blessing to get to be with you uh, this morning. I just want to take a special moment to welcome all those of you who are online. Uh, I know some of you can uh, comment, uh, depending on what platform you're on. Some of you can't, but I want to welcome you to worship, especially if this is your first time gathering with us. Um, I I know that uh, sometimes it can be kind of strange to do new things, and so if this is your first time gathering with us for worship, I want to I want to welcome you and celebrate a, what a step you've taken already. I want to celebrate those who are commenting online as well. Um, again, I want to welcome Anthony and um, James and the Murphys. I want to welcome uh, Steph and Rick and the Herricks. And I want to spe- say a special uh, welcome to Grayton. Uh, I saw that you were uh, saying hi to us, so I want to call you out and say it's, it's just great to get to worship with your family, Grayton. So excited that you are here. Um, Again, my name is Andy Nelms, and um, for those of you who don't know, this is just my, my second week to be with you guys, and so we've been um, practicing kind of a, a new thing um, for the next couple of weeks. Um, we're just going to practice a, a new series called Get to Know Me, and, and really take a chance to walk you through some of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, and also just to tell you some stories about myself, uh, about my childhood. Um, let you know a little bit about me. Um, I uh, grew up in Oklahoma, so uh, my family and I just moved here last summer, a year ago now. Uh, We moved here to Texas, but before that we lived in Oklahoma, and um, when I was young, I grew up in the small town of Coweta, Oklahoma. You might say, where is Coweta? Uh, Well, I have a a map for you. Uh, Let's take a look at it together, and um, this is is a map, so you can see Tulsa there. Um, Tulsa is in the northeast um, part of Oklahoma, and then if you take Highway 51 out of that, you can get to Coweta. Uh, It's right down there, a small town, graduated with a little over 100, and and, uh, what a great opportunity to be able to grow up there. It It was such a blessing, so much fun, and um, it, was, uh, it was there in Coweta that my dad actually owned um, a family practice um, there. And um, my dad was the doctor um, there in the small town of Coweta. He actually bought the practice from his dad there in Coweta and then ended up kind of growing um, this practice into um, quite, a, quite a business. And it was a special opportunity to grow up in a small town of Coweta while my dad was the doctor because I realized something about doctor's offices. Um, I realized something, and, and this may sound simple, but I realized the goal of a doctor's office. Okay, you ready for this? The goal of a doctor's office was to make sick people well. That's it. <laughs> and, and you say, like, this, this guy is not worth his salt. But no, 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 really, I, it's going to get better, I promise. The goal of a doctor's office was to make sick people well. And so everything my dad did at this doctor's office was for the simple goal to make sick people well. Right? So he, he bought the practice from his dad. Um, it was in a small building um, there on downtown. He ended up selling that building, buying a larger plot of land down the street, and building an entirely new building there. Why did he do that? Well, because there were more sick people in the town that he could care for in that small one-room practice. And so he built a new building, all to make sick people well. And then uh, he added nurses on staff, and he added more people on staff. Why? Because there were more people than he could see himself. And all of this was for the goal of making sick people well. And then he ended up adding on to the practice, uh, building more, building on to the thing that he had originally built. Why did he do this? Because there were more sick people, because the entire goal of his practice was to make sick people well. He welcomed in new clients. 
Clients he didn't know before. You know, many of his clients were, were friends, people he had seen at the high school football game or at the grocery store. You know, these were friends of his, but when new people came into town, he welcomed them as new clients. Why? Because his entire goal was to make sick people well. And when other doctors came into town, maybe they worked for him and maybe they didn't, he welcomed them to town because he knew that there were more sick people than he could care for because he knew that his goal was to make sick people well. But sometimes, every once in a while, somebody would come to my dad's office that wasn't sick. Right? They, they would come in and, and maybe they were older, maybe a little bit more lonely, and, and they would come in and, and my dad would, would walk into the room to see them and he would see that on the you know, chart there was, there was nothing seemingly wrong and he would walk in and he'd say, what seems to be the problem? And they would start up a conversation. And they would just start kind of talking. And, and my dad realized that these people didn't need a doctor. They really wanted socialization. They, re- they really wanted kind of a social club. And, and I realize something that's very true about all of us. It, it's it, this kind of inherent problem in all of us, and it's, and it's this. Most times, we would rather a social club than a doctor's office. Most times we'd rather a social club than a doctor's office. Here's what I mean by that. Have you ever had a friend that like went through maybe some, some trauma, right? Or, or maybe they went through a tragedy or something happened in their life and, and you knew that you were scheduled to maybe talk to them or, or meet them or even have them over. And there's this tendency to not talk about that bad thing that happened in that friend's life. Have you ever noticed this? There's, there's this tendency to kind of hope that it would just kind of go away and that, that you could go back to kind of the way things used to be, the socialization that you used to have so that you didn't have to address this kind of elephant in the room because most times we would rather a social club, we would rather this kind of convenience in our life than a doctor's office, than a thing that actually forces us to address things that are a little bit more difficult. Most times we'd rather a social club than a doctor's office. You ever realize this in your finances? Most times we would rather just kind of blindly pay our mortgage, right? We would rather just that kind of like automatically be deducted from our account just to go wherever it needs to go to, to pay that mortgage than to take a hard, cold look at our finances and realize that we are in a house that's too expensive for us, that we are in over our head. We would rather eat out every night and, and spend money on things we don't need than take a cold, hard look at our finances and realize that there is a problem in the way that we live. Most times we would rather a social club than a doctor's office. You ever realize this at work? Maybe you messed up. Maybe you did something wrong. And, and it was pretty obvious to everyone else on your staff and on your team. And, and you knew that you were scheduled to talk to your supervisor, to talk to your boss. And, and you went in to talk to, to him or her. And, and you sat down and you had this kind of like pleasantry, small talk, small talk conversation. You know, that thing that lasts, lasts about three minutes before you talk about the actual thing. And there's this tendency to make that three minutes last for the entire conversation. Right? We just, can, can we make this thing like about the weather just last for the entire time and then I can just leave? Why? Because we would rather a social club than a doctor's office. We would rather this kind of easy conversation than the tough conversation that actually would force us to change. This is what I've learned in my own life and, and this is what I find throughout the scripture as well. Right, so this morning we're going to read from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9. And if you have a Bible with you, I'd invite you to, to pull it out. Maybe you haven't you know, used one in a while, and, and that's just fine. You know? 
to be honest, many Christians don't even know how to use their Bible either. And so, you know, you're, you're in good company. Um, but we're going to turn to the Gospel of Matthew. Um, it's kind of in the, the second half of, of the entire book. It's the, um, the, the first book of the New Testament, the first book that talks about, um, about Jesus. And, and this morning we're going to read from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9. And I'm just going to walk us through this story really quick. And we're going to go verse by verse. We're going to start at verse 9. So chapter 9, verse 9. Then we're going to go all the way to 13. We read this in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and he followed him. Now, this is a very short verse, but, but has very large ramifications. See, at this time, Matthew was a tax collector. Um, and he was a tax co- collector uh, in the region of Galilee. Which meant that he was most likely um, Jewish, but he was also collecting taxes for the Roman government. The way that worked is that people bought a contract from the Roman government uh, to collect a certain amount from their people. And, and then they would collect that amount, but then they would also collect more to pad their own pockets. And there was no restrictions on how much more you could gather. As long as you gave the money that had been contracted to Rome, they didn't really care. And so everyone who encountered tax collectors knew that they were being taken advantage of, but there was nothing they could do about it, right? You ever been in that situation, how frustrating that situation is when when you go somewhere and you know that there's a strong possibility that you are being taken advantage of in this moment, but there's nothing you can do about it. You know, to be honest, I I feel that way sometimes whenever I go to a car, car lot to get my car fixed. I don't know anything about cars. I'm not very mechanical. I'm not very gifted in that area. And so I know that anytime I take my car in and, and, and I do that embarrassing thing of mimicking the sound that your car made, do you ever do that? You know, if, if you need to feel any dumber, just walk into a car, um, a, 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 an auto shop and do that. But, you know, I'll walk in, I say, my car's making this weird sound. And I know that that sound can cost anywhere from 50 to $500, Right? Like, like, it can cost anywhere in between that, and they can bring me some part that supposedly came out of my car and say, yeah, this thing is going to cost $400, and I have to say, okay. Like, I need a car, you know? And, and I hope and I pray for people who are honest, and I, and I believe many of them are, but sometimes we get taken advantage of. And that's how everybody felt when they encountered Matthew, this tax collector. He worked for the Roman government, right? He was selling out his own people and collecting more to pad his own pockets. And Jesus called him. Jesus called him. And what's even crazier is that Matthew followed him. Is that Matthew followed him. So we read that, that Jesus says, follow me in verse 9, and, and Matthew got up and he followed him. And then we read in verse 10, something else happened. That as, and as he, Jesus, sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. What happened? Well, Matthew got called by Jesus and then he threw a party. This great thing had happened in his life. He had got called by a rabbi to come and follow him. This is an incredible honor for a Jewish person to be asked to follow a rabbi. It was an incredible honor. And so Matthew throws this party. And who does he invite? Tax collectors and sinners. His friends. People that he knows. Not the religious elite. Not the, not the good religious people. The tax collectors and the sinners. 
And, and what we can assume about this passage, about this party, is that it's this is loud, rambunctious party. Right there are tax collectors and sinners. They're not religious elites. This is, this is the tax collector sinner party. This is a shut down the block party. This is a party that goes throughout the night. This is the, the, the party that gets the cops called on them later. This is the party that is a nuisance. This is a party that gets commented about on, on your neighborhood Facebook group, right? This is the party that gets posted on next door, right? This is the party that the other neighbors complain about at the pool the next day. This is that kind of party, and Jesus is there. And this happens in verse 11. The Pharisees saw this, and they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? What had happened? The party had gotten so loud, the Pharisees had heard about it. And so they walked around, right? And, and I assume, I assume that they walked around the edge of the party, you know, just kind of like peering into it. I, I assume they walked around the edge of the party and they saw the disciples also on the edge. Why? Because the disciples don't want to be a part of this either. You know, this is that party that really got away from us. You know what I mean? Like this is the party that we're like, Jesus, are you sure you want to be here? And, and, and Jesus like, yes, this is where I need to be. And so they're like, okay, we'll be here. Like, you know, just like in body, but we we are, we are as far away from this thing as we can get. The Pharisees walk by and they see this party happening and they see the disciples and they use this as an opportunity to corner the disciples. And they say, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners. Your teacher. Parents, you ever, you ever been told about your son or your daughter? You know what I mean? Like when your spouse looks at you and they're like, you're, you're never going to guess what your son did this morning. And you're like, oh my gosh, what did they do? You know, like this is that thing. Why does your teacher, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? This rabbi was, was a teacher. But here he was in this lavish party with the left out, the least, and the lost. And here's the thing that happens in, in verse 12 through 13. When he heard this, the scripture says in verse 12, when Jesus heard this, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus was asked why he was at that party. He wasn't asked, his disciples were asked, but Jesus overheard it. And so he said, instead of triangulating these disciples between us, why don't you and I just talk directly? And he says, listen, I am here because my goal is to make sick people well. And I will do whatever it takes in order to accomplish that singular goal. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus' goal was to make sick people well. And here's the thing. If we claim to be the church, we claim to be the body of Christ, we claim to be Jesus here on earth. And if Jesus' goal was to make sick people well, then our goal is that as well. And so here's the thing I've learned about the church. The church is not a museum for saints. 
but rather a hospital for sinners. And, I, and I've heard this statement made several times before, and, and I believe it, it grabs us so well is because many times we have seen museums for saints. We have seen churches that look down their nose at people who have not gotten their stuff figured out before they walked in the door. But Jesus said, the church is for people who need Jesus. The church is for people who need love. The church is for people who need care. The singular goal of the church is to make sick people well. What if we started treating the church this way? What if we started believing and actually living like the singular goal of the church was to make sick people well? Maybe then we would start looking at the church not at how it can meet our needs, not at what the church can do for us, not at how the church can can fit our boxes, but how the church can actually fit the community's box. That, That the church, unlike many other organizations, exists not to benefit its own members, but to benefit those people who have not yet walked in the door. it's the great irony of the church that once you become a member of the church, once you become a member of the community of Christ, you in some way have less privileges than you did if you never joined. Because this church exists, every church exists, the body of Christ exists for each and every person who has not found Christ. That's why we're here. To make sick people well. How would we start living if we actually believed this were true? Then we would participate in ministries that help people who are in need of help. That we would keep feeding people the way Lover's Lane is already doing so, the way Lover's Lane is feeding more than 55,000 people in this exact area, that we would, we would participate in ministries like that, that we would start getting to know people who don't know Jesus, who don't have a church home. Why? Because we know that we exist for them so that they can find community in Christ, so that they can find the love of God that we have found in our own community because we know that our singular goal is to make sick people well. I believe this statement about a museum for saints and a hospital for sinners grabs us because we've seen churches made for church people. We've seen churches that were built for the sole purpose of reaching other people who go to church. And friends, that was not the reason Jesus died. Jesus did not die so that we could placate to our friends. Jesus did not die so that we could have something slightly more attractive over here. Jesus died so that we as a community could make sick people well. That we could help others. I've been recommending books um, to to all of us. And I've been recommending some of my favorite books. and, And I want to recommend this book to you, Deep and Wide by Andy Stanley, in which he says this, that we are called to create a church that unchurched people love to attend. Friends, that's my goal. That's what I want to do, that that I believe Jesus died so that we could help do that very thing. I've had the privilege and honor to be a part of many different churches before I came here. 
And, and I won't tell you the name of the church or, or the person who lifted this up, but at one meeting I was at during a church, uh, while I was on church staff, uh, one person said at that meeting, you know, we've been talking about growing for some time. We've been talking about the opportunity that we have to grow, and I just want to make sure that we don't grow too much. I just want to make sure that we don't grow too much. Now, I, I know what that person meant. Change is hard for all of us. Change is, is really difficult and scary. But we would never hear a hospital say, I don't want to save too many lives. We would never hear a doctor say, I don't want to heal too many people. Friends, I'll tell you the ideal size for a church. The ideal size for a church is that it would be big enough so that those who don't know about Christ can find him, so that those who are hungry can be fed, so that those who are sick could be made well. I want to tell you I did some research this week, and I found out that within a two and a half mile radius of this church, there are more than 43,000 people who don't have a church home or a religious community. Friends, I want you to know that that breaks God's heart. And my hope is, is that it would break ours as well. So the ideal size for a church would be to be big enough so that 43,000 number can be zero. I'm gonna invite us to pray this this week. We read from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter nine through 13. At the end of the chapter, Jesus says this. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Lord of the harvest, therefore ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into your harvest. My hope, my prayer is that you would join me in this prayer, that we as a community each day this week would pray that, Lord of the harvest, send out laborers into your harvest. Because our church exists to make sick people well. Amen.